that you want us to. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray and ask. Amen. Thank you, Michaela. Uh, it is my personal opinion that she is our best children's ministry, uh, children's message speaker. As we're talking about opinions this morning, well, good morning again. Good morning. And uh, we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, I'm Robbie, uh, husband of Michaela. Uh, I'm the college ministry intern here at Big Woods. Uh, and before we get started this morning, I was actually given a few extra announcements. Uh, so pay attention as these might impact you. Uh, I know that some of you like the flair of the electric guitar that Eddie has brought to our worship services, but I'm afraid that's just not proper worship to our Heavenly Father. So instead of an electric guitar, we're going to bring in an organ, all right? We're going to have an organ installed, and we're going to hire a harpist uh, to lead our worship music. Uh, there have been many complaints within the community that our worship services are just too late in the day also. So in two weeks, uh, you heard about our tractor races and the outdoor service. Uh, we're actually going to be pushing up our service time to 6.30 in the morning. That way we can awake the dawn, as David writes in Psalm 57. Pastor Stewart also wanted me to let everyone know that this will be the last week of children's church. So children should be learning alongside their parents, as is commanded in Scripture, so next week, we will have no children's church at all. And lastly, on behalf of the decorating committee, there's been a decision to transition from our current carpet here in the sanctuary to a hot pink shag carpet. So be on the lookout for renovations coming soon. I'm glad that I'm hearing laughing. I hope that you caught on that, that this is a joke, right? This, this isn't actually happening. Don't worry. We're, we're not getting a harpist, I promise. But I hope you also noticed that you reacted when I said these things. You, you may have been happy that we were getting rid of the electric guitar. You may have been outraged that we're moving up our service time to 6.30. We don't always agree on everything. We don't all agree on what color the carpet should be or what time the service should start, what style of music we should even play in our worship services. And that is okay. None of these changes are actually happening, but it's important to note that you did react, that you have opinions, that you have preferences. I could stand up here talking for an eternity just about the opinions and preferences that we have today because there are so many. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 14, which is where we will be this morning. As we were talking about opinions and preferences, I decided to look up some similes that people have for opinions and found a few good ones. Now, one person writes, opinions are like feet. Everyone has a couple and they usually stink. <laughs> opinions are like birthdays. Everyone has one and I only know of yours because of Facebook. If, if you can relate to that one, you might want to check out Pastor Stewart's Theology of Technology class after the service in classroom three. Opinions are like noses. Everyone's got one, but it usually has a couple holes in it. And this one hit a little close to home for me. Opinions are like wristwatches. Everyone's got, everyone shows a different time, but all believe theirs is accurate. Opinions are things that we all have. Everyone has opinions on everything. We all have preferences. We like things a certain way. And as we look at Romans 14 this morning, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, think about your preferences Think even maybe about the ways that you push others to have the same preferences that you have. See, what we're looking at is a, is a context of love. 
from Romans 13, verse 8, all the way through Romans 15, verse 13. We are talking about a context of love. We want to love one another by not passing judgment on one another so that we do not cause another to stumble, thus following the example of Christ. So with this in mind, we will be examining the first four verses of Romans 14 this morning. I would love to preach through the entire chapter as it's just full of stuff that we can talk about. However, we're focusing in on just the first four verses this morning. So if you have your place, Romans 14, starting in verse 1, follow along as I read from there. Paul writes, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you, as Pastor Aaron read this morning from Psalm 139, that you have made us fearfully and wonderfully. Lord, thank you for gifting us in different ways and allowing us to have unique opinions and thoughts and ideas for the building up of your church. Father, help me this morning as I teach. Lord, give me the words to say. May this be your message and these be your words, not my own. It's in Christ's name that I pray these things. Amen. Opinions and preferences within the church. The more that I've thought about this, the more that I realize it talks so much and talks so specifically about everything that we're going through today. It's all-encompassing. It's not just like a doctrine where it focuses on one aspect of life. This is talking about opinions, things that we all have and have plenty of. As a society, we tend to argue more about our opinions than we do about facts and data. Even in the examples that I gave earlier, which, again, a joke, some of them have led to churches even splitting because they are foregoing, making unity a priority. They're not loving one another, letting their opinions run the church rather than the word of the Lord. Think back to Jesus' teaching on the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is meant for all people, not just believers. But if this is meant for all people, how much more should we as the body of Christ be loving one another, caring for one another, building one another up in love so that we are an encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ? The passage that we're looking at gets to the root of this. Last week we looked at casting off the works of darkness, walking properly in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. Now, out of those six characteristics, quarreling and jealousy seem like the two like, least wrong, right? If there is such a thing as least wrong. Paul talks about sexual sin arguably more explicitly and more frequently than anything else in all of his writings throughout the New Testament. And yet he still throws into this motley group quarreling and jealousy. And as we look at it this morning, he goes on to clarify why this is so important, why this is so all-encompassing. So as we begin our time, point number one this morning, we are to have preferences. Point number one, have preferences. As we read in verse one, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. 
Don't invite the new guy over for dinner so that you can talk about how he's wrong to listen to Joel Osteen. I invite him over to dinner because you love your brother in Christ. You want to get to know him more. And then once you've been established in a relationship with him, you've built some kind of repertoire with him, then you tell him that Joel Osteen is a heretic and preaching a false gospel. At no point in any of this is Paul ever advocating to prevent quarrels and jealousy by not having opinions, but rather have opinions, have even strong opinions and convictions. But don't let your preferences get in the way or someone else's preferences get in the way of how you love your brother or sister in Christ. This is important as Paul is writing it because of the makeup of the Roman church. You had both Jews and Gentiles, people who came from a religious background and those who know nothing of our living God. Some of the Gentiles, that is the Greek believers, they came from a culture that sacrificed food to pagan gods and idols. As new Christians, they didn't want to eat the meat because they didn't know if it had been sacrificed or not. In their eyes, if, if they would have eaten meat that had been sacrificed to idols, this is something to lose salvation over. And these Gentiles were afraid. If I eat the meat, I will lose my salvation. But then within the church, you have Jews coming to them and saying, if, if you're worried about losing your salvation over this, well, maybe you don't even have it to begin with. And the Gentiles are stuck between a rock and a hard place. Do I eat the meat and violate my conscience, sinning against God? Or do I listen to my other church members and, and, and don't eat the meat? If they are convicted not to eat it, then they should not eat it, regardless of a, another person's opinion. And again, we have a full assurance of faith, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. This isn't something that we can lose salvation over. But it also something, isn't anything that we should reject our own convictions. James tells us, for the person who knows the right thing to do and he doesn't do it, for him it is sin. Paul is saying, don't let your convictions or someone else's convictions affect your love for one another. Have preferences, but know that your preferences have no bearing on your salvation, nor do anyone else's preferences or convictions have any bearings on their salvation. Also, your convictions don't have any bearing on someone else's salvation, and their preferences don't have any bearing on your salvation. Paul actually uses this concept in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You might even notice a cross-reference in your Bible here in Romans 14. But in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8, Paul writes, it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. In God's eyes, our standing with him does not change based on if we eat something or if we don't eat something. Our salvation is not dependent upon what we eat. Our salvation is dependent upon our faith in Jesus Christ, who has died on the cross as an atonement for our sins, washing us clean and making us right with God. Our sanctification isn't dependent on what we eat. Our sanctification, our growing up in Christ, is dependent upon our attitude towards others and how much we let the Spirit work in our lives. This is important, coming back to Romans 14, in verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. So if God is the only one who can judge, 
If, if God is the only one who can cast condemnation onto a person because of what he or she eats, and, and Paul is writing that God won't do that. He doesn't care if you eat the meat or you don't eat the meat. Then who are we to cast judgment on that person? Who are we to judge that person? A person cannot be saved or lose their salvation based on what they eat. Can't gain holiness or lose holiness by either eating or abstaining. Paul rightly asserts that we cannot cast discernment or judgment onto a person's salvation because of what they eat. And again, Paul is using food just as one example of opinions. He's getting at all different opinions. This week we're looking at food. Next week we're looking at esteeming one day higher than the next. It's all a metaphor for all opinions, all preferences. See, God made everything that we have. Everything that is in creation, everything that we use, whether it's the technology that we use, the scripture that we read, the pulpit I'm standing in, God has made everything. So everything is a tool to be used by man. The shovel that is used to, to dig up holes, to create space for new plants and new life to sprout up and grow can also be used similarly and yet contrastly as a weapon, destroying life. The tool isn't the issue. The attitude behind it is. The heart behind the use is the issue. The electric guitar for worship is not the issue. The anger that a person expresses towards it is. The opinions that we have aren't the issue. Our heart towards others with different opinions is then the issue. The condemnation of another person for the translation of scripture that they decide to read is a problem. The fact that they're reading the New Living Translation instead of the King James only version is not the issue. Because of this, we have to learn how to use these tools properly. We must grow up in our attitudes and our preferences, which brings us to point number two. If we are to have preferences, we need to grow up in our opinions. Grow up in your opinions. Verse two, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. The one who is strong in the faith eats anything because they grasp the concept that the tool, in this case food, is not the issue. They've grown up. They've matured in order to understand this. When we were children, we had thoughts like children. We reasoned like children. Paul states this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. As children, we all have emotional, knee-jerk reactions to things. We like taking naps in certain places. We like eating at a specific time. We might like one parent more than another. And when we don't get our way, we throw tantrums. We cry. This is characteristic of toddlers. But now that we've grown up, we've given up our childish ways. We should no longer be throwing tantrums that somebody took the last pack of ground beef at the grocery store. We shouldn't be crying because someone 3,000 miles away tweeted that they don't agree with the decision made by the Supreme Court. Grow up. Notice the strong language that Paul is even using here with adjectives like weak or strong, weak in the faith. He isn't saying that it's a bad thing. He's simply saying that there is a level of immaturity. Looking at this example of food, the one who is considered strong 
is because they understand how to rightly use the tool of food. Remember, it isn't the tool that's the problem. It's not the opinion itself that's the problem. But we should not be a stumbling block to others by continuing this practice. If somebody comes to us and says, I don't think what you're doing is right, we can have conversations and dialogue. But at the end of the day, those need to be done in love. And we shouldn't be a stumbling block by continuing to do something that somebody else believe, excuse me, believes is wrong. Think about when you were first starting to lift weights. You weren't going in the first day, laying down on the bench, and just putting all the weight that you can on the bench and maxing it out. You, you were weak. It's natural. You, you have to practice. You have to be faithful to the discipline of lifting. And you've become stronger. Now you can add a little bit more weight. Parents, how about teaching a child to ride a bike? If you wrap your child up in bubble wrap, make sure they've got all the knee pads, the, the, the arm pads, the helmet, the training wheels, everything, that will actually hinder their ability to ride the bike, right? If, they, if they're stuck like this because they're wrapped in bubble wrap, so that way they don't fall off, it's a problem. Now, sticking with this, though, you also don't expect your child to be able to balance on two wheels the first time they get on a bike. So you might add the training wheels. You might add the knee pads and the, and the elbow pads. After a period of time, though, they become stronger with their sense of balance. They're able to stay on the bike and keep it upright. And eventually those training wheels come off. Paul is getting at the same thing with food. Don't expect new believers to have it all figured out when they first come to Christ. Even believers who have been faithfully following Christ for decades and decades, we don't have it all completely figured out either. I think of a famous quote from Martin Luther who writes, I did not learn all my theology at once, but had to search constantly deeper and deeper for it. My temptations did that for me, for no one can understand Holy Scripture without practice and temptations. When you become a born-again believer, you don't instantaneously become enlightened with all the knowledge of the universe, as we might like to think. But as Luther is saying, it takes time, it takes searching, it takes experience. Those who are weak in the faith, those who are new believers are not to be judged because they don't know something or because they don't do something that someone who's been a believer for a while might do. Rather than judging them, rather than condemning them or neglecting them, we come alongside of them, we encourage them, we love on them, we teach them. And for those of you who may be new believers or even younger believers, don't be discouraged by opinions that you have from before you became a believer. If you were practicing sin, I, I certainly hope that you have repented. But if you come from a, a Catholic background and you like some of the liturgical aspects, the, the almost ritualistic aspects of church, that is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not sinful to like the liturgy. And not all Christian churches have traditional worship styles. Again, I'm not suggesting that you keep the theology or the practices of the Catholic Church, but the opinions that you formed from while you were there. Don't let a guitar make you stop coming to church as a whole and end up leaving the faith. Don't let a, a human opinion have any bearing on your salvation, because it doesn't. Don't let other people's opinions and convictions impact your walk with God. Again, don't get frustrated with the differences of opinions. As I stated before, we need to bear with one another in one another's weaknesses. 
Paul's saying that if you condemn someone for for abstaining from eating meat, you're going to drive them away. If you sit in temples to idols and you eat the food that may have been offered as sacrifices to those idols, you're going to make a new believer violate his conscience by eating the food offered to idols. This destroys them. If you tell a believer that the, the Greek text or the Hebrew text is the only version of Scripture that we should be reading as Christians, you're going to destroy them. They don't know Greek. They don't know Hebrew. Nor should they. They're, they're a new believer. If a believer can worship God through a different form of worship music, praise God. Don't condemn that brother or sister in Christ because of their preference. Who are we to cast judgment on one another? Only God can judge, and he will judge according to our relationship with Christ. So if God doesn't condemn us for our opinions, we can't condemn others for theirs. Which brings us to our third point this morning. Do not condemn the opinions of others. If we are to have preferences and we are to grow up them, we certainly cannot condemn another for doing the same. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Remember, Paul is using food as an example for all opinions. These are not sinful actions, nor are they doctrines of the Christian faith. These are opinions. Al Mohler, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, has a pyramid chart of what he calls theological triage. This is a chart of of the matter of importance, the level of importance that different things are in the Christian faith. At the very top of the chart, the peak, what we view about God, what we think about God, the authority of Scripture, the, the concept of the Trinity, the gospel, that God made everything and saw that it was good, but sin entered the world, creating brokenness between God and man. God knew that we would need a Savior because we can't save ourselves, though we try, whether it's through good works Or maybe even just using things of this world as an escape. But we cannot save ourselves. There's only one thing, one person who can. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by becoming and taking the form of a human servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in the likeness of men. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that we may be restored with God who loved the world so much that he gave his only son that through him we may have eternal life. This is the most important thing on the pyramid. And if there is any opinion, any other attempt to change this truth, it must be dealt with correctly and immediately. It is of utmost importance that we understand this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is because of a misunderstanding of this that different religions exist. Next on the pyramid, we have ecclesiology, that is, matters of the church. Our views on baptism, the Lord's Supper, even gender roles within the church. If an opinion changes something here, it needs to be dealt with gently and lovingly, as it does not change the gospel, but we might not collaborate, we might not fellowship as much if this is disagreement. This is why different denominations exist. We all believe in the gospel of Christ, but we might have different views on how the church is run. Lastly, at the the bottom are the third tier issues. Millennial views, certain eschatological or end times, to use the, the fancier church word, 
gospel freedom issues, understanding of some difficult texts. These are not hills to die on. These aren't even hills to break fellowship over. But there are certainly insignificant differences that do not change the gospel. This is why we have different churches. We agree on the gospel. We agree on the matters of the church, the ecclesiology. But we have different views on specific and significant things. Finally, we get to the issues that Paul is talking about this morning. Matters of opinion. He's not talking about something sinful. He's not talking about anything heretical. These are opinions. This is why we are created individually. There's no law, as commanded by Jesus to the New Testament believers, that they cannot eat meat. Actually, in, the, in Mark chapter 7, he does the complete opposite. He allows meat to be eaten. According to the Levitical law, there were certain foods that Israelites could not eat as commanded by God. It was sinful to eat pork. But praise God that Jesus declared bacon acceptable. Amen? <laughs> Jesus says it's not what goes into a person's body that defiles a person, but rather what comes out of them. What defiles a person is what is in your heart, the attitudes you have, not what is in your stomach, what you put in. It isn't the food that makes you unclean, but the attitude with which you eat the food that does. This attitude is reflected in our opinions as well. To reiterate, we're not talking about right and wrong in this passage. So many times we want to use passages like this as proof texts to show that we are better than another believer, or even to insinuate that they might not even be a believer. Think back to the beginning of the message with the examples I gave. I made these changes seem commanded by Scripture, right? Using, using Scripture references. They're not just biblically based, but they almost seem commanded. But Paul doesn't say to treat the weak person as such. He says to welcome him because God has welcomed him. He doesn't say to condemn the person for doing something that, or not doing something. You say, they listen to this kind of music, so they aren't really a Christian. Or maybe they go out to the bar, so clearly they don't believe in Jesus. Or, heaven forbid, they have tattoos. Don't they know they're destined for hell? This is not what Paul is saying. In fact, he's saying the exact opposite. He's saying if this is how you respond by despising, by passing judgment, you're actually being a stumbling block to other believers, casting judgment on them, which is a sin, not only against that person, but against Christ. You are taking the place of God by judging someone, which is blasphemy. I'm sure that many of us have been told that our opinions are wrong, unfounded, maybe even dumb. It's an opinion. Like, think about it. We're not arguing differences of matters of fact. I'm giving my preference to someone and, tells, and they tell me that it's wrong. I'm, I'm pretty sure I know my preferences better than anyone else. And I'm pretty sure you know your preferences better than anyone else. But again, just to reiterate, we're not talking about sinful practices. If you prefer to do the Christian life alone, not be connected to a body of believers, that is wrong. If you prefer to look at pornography rather than your spouse, that is sinful. If you prefer to get drunk rather than remaining sober-minded, that is sinful. If you prefer to steal rather than paying for something, it's sinful. If you prefer to date people of your same gender, that is sinful. 
If you prefer to be angry with someone, to quarrel with someone, rather than putting aside differences and working together for the kingdom of God, that is sinful. If you prefer meat over vegetables, that's not sinful. If you prefer pews over chairs, it's not sinful. If you prefer contemporary worship music over traditional worship music, it's not sinful. If you prefer King James Version over New Living Translation, it's not sinful. We can't condemn others for their opinions and their preferences. We have no authority to condemn anyone for any reason. Again, Paul Wright says, before one's own master, one lord, your translation might say, that a person stands or falls. And God is the only master, the only lord, the only one who is able to condemn a person. And God will not condemn you for having an opinion. As Pastor Aaron alluded to this morning, David writes in Psalm 139 that God has formed our inward parts, has knitted us together in our mother's womb, and we praise God because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God made us each unique with different looks, different likes, different preferences, different gifts. You know how boring the church would be if we were all the same? If we all had the same taste in music, if we all read scripture the exact same way? If you remember just a few chapters ago, which probably feels like a year by now, Romans chapter 12, each person is uniquely gifted to serve the church. If we are all uniquely gifted, it isn't much of a stretch to say that we are uniquely opinioned as well. Just as with our giftings, we are to use them for the building up of the body, so too our opinions should be building up of one another. Don't quarrel over opinions. Don't bicker and slander and gossip, tearing down your brother's reputation or your sister's esteem. Bear with one another, owing no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So some points of application this morning. What do we do with this? If we need to have opinions, if we need to grow up in them, if we need to not condemn others, how do I do this? What does this look like? First and foremost, let me encourage you, pray that God would reveal your preferences. This will help you not only to clearly communicate them to one another, but it will help you also distinguish preference from sin. Again, as Pastor Aaron said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Let us have clean hearts and clear consciences. Secondly, we want to communicate in love. When you speak, be slow to anger. Don't get defensive over your opinions or attack others for theirs. Speak gently out of love with a goal for understanding one another. Our goal is not to make sure that our opinion is, is better. Our goal is to understand one another and love them. Thirdly, find someone to mentor. New believers are constantly looking for ways to be involved, to learn, to grow alongside others. This is, there's hardly a greater tragedy than for a new believer in the faith to be condemned, ostracized, or neglected by the church. Discipleship is a lifelong process of doing life together. Find someone to do life with, whether you're a new believer or a seasoned one. An illustration I love for this is, is everybody should have a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas. You have a Paul, someone who's pouring into you, who, who cares deeply about your spiritual growth, who wants to help you along the road of life. You have a Timothy, somebody that you are pouring into, just as Paul poured into Timothy. You are that person's Paul, if you will. 
And thirdly, you have a Barnabas, somebody who walks alongside of you, encourages you, loves on you, prays with you. Find someone to mentor. If love is the fulfilling of the law, as Paul writes just a few verses before in Romans 13, chapter 10, then we must love one another in our differences. We don't have to agree on everything, but we do have to love one another in our agreement and in our disagreement. Husbands, love your wives and bear with them when they are stubborn. Wives, love your husbands. Respect them even when they're foolish. Single moms, love your children, especially when they break your heart. Single dads, love your neighbor even when they cut your grass before you're able to get to yours. Children, love and obey your parents. Even if they have opinions that are different from yours, they probably know better than you do. But besides all of this, love one another. Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus commands us to love one another. He doesn't just suggest it or encourages it. He commands it. Love one another, just as Christ has loved you. Every single one of us has received grace from Jesus when we did not deserve it has been shown love when we did not deserve it, has been saved when we did not deserve it because Jesus died on the cross so that we can be united with the Father and dwelled by the Spirit who gives us strength and power to fulfill these commands. Be in tune with the Spirit's leading. Don't be given over to fleshly desires and get defensive when somebody says that the Philadelphia Eagles are the worst football team in history or that hymns sung to a lyre are better than music that is sung by a guitar. According to an article by Christianity Today, two of the top three reasons why churches split is because that love is not their motivation and unity is not a priority. How sad is that? We would rather argue about the color of the carpet then we would come together in love, praising God that he has blessed us with such a wonderful building in which to worship him. Like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of man and angels, but I have not love, I'm like a clanging gong or a noisy cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. So have opinions. Grow up in them. Don't condemn one another because of your opinions or because of theirs. Pray that God would give you wisdom, peace, and understanding. Speak with love and disciple someone. Let's pray. God, we come before you again thanking you for your word. Lord, the, the truth that is within it, that you are God alone. From before time began, you were on your throne. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the great love that you have extended towards us. Father, your steadfast love that is from everlasting to everlasting. Father, teach us how to love one another, even in our differences. Father, reveal sin that is within us. Give us an understanding of your spirit. Father, we love you. We thank you for our time this morning. May you be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, sir.